Well, I've seen Jesus play with flames in a lake of fire that I was standing on. Met the devil in Seattle, spent nine months inside the lion's den. I met Right, welcome to Rising with the Tide. I'm Iskander. I'm joined by Jamie and Usman today, who's uh, coming in as a special host. How are you guys? I'm good, and I, I think Usman's good as well. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm pretty good, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So Usman's not really a, a usual. I don't. I think is this your first appearance? I think it is. Right. It is. Yeah. It took yeah. you some time <laughs> yeah, <laughs> best that's friend fine. <laughs> we've just been best friends for like how many years now that's fine yeah yeah no no um i let's just say that the time difference made it difficult uh with you know canada europe so this is uh, our second episode actually coming in as rising with the tide uh i still want to preface this by saying that if some of you may be confused with the name change uh, we were indeed called the Human Odyssey podcast uh, a while back, and we've had to change it because of reasons, uh, which I don't really want to get into. But if you check our Twitter feed, you will probably find out. Uh, creative um, rebrand. Yeah, let's just call it that, creative rebrand. Corporations so, are fun and good. Yes, and we can't legally name a corporation that fucks <laughs> us, but <laughs> we may do an episode on it at some point. Um, but enough with this intro. I'm really excited for today. We've got a super special guest. Uh, we've got Ben Burgess, who is a philosophy uh, lecturer from Rutgers University, columnist for Jacobin, uh, an alumni of the Michael Brooks Show and Dead Pundits, and also, more specifically, the author of Give Them an Argument and the creator host of Give Them an Argument podcast and YouTube show. Ben, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Gavin. How are you today? I'm pretty good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, we were really, I mean, I guess, positively surprised that you'd come on. Um, I guess we, we've been watching you from afar, but it feels a little surreal sometimes to have people that we've watched for a while come on to the show. We had this, I had the same, uh, the same thing with Sharon Burrow, who's the, the head of the um, ITUC, the, the biggest worker, workers uh, union, or uh, people like Joanna Haig as well, who's an IPCC author. So thank you so much for coming. It's really an honor to have you on. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, thanks for, for having me on. I suspect that you're going to ask me about things that I don't actually know anything about since you, you said something about the, uh, you know, nitty gritty of environmental stuff. So uh, we'll, we'll see, you yeah. know, we'll see if you end up deciding that you made a mistake at some point, you know, over the course of the conversation. <laughs> I, th- I think we'll be fine. I mean, I, I, I think I've listened to most of the, the GTA uh, uh, show. Um, I especially actually today, uh, listen to the Zizek episode. Absolutely mm-hmm. love that. Do you want to maybe explain for readers, uh, for readers, gosh, we're not a reading show. Do you want to, do you want to maybe explain for our listeners uh, who you are as a lecturer, but also maybe as a host, as a writer, um, and what Give Them an Argument is? Yeah. Uh, so, sure, I guess for the, the benefit of everybody reading the transcript of this, I will say that... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, my day job uh, is actually not, I mean, this doesn't matter at all, but you know, not at Rutgers anymore. It's uh, right. at uh, Georgia State University uh, Perimeter College in Atlanta, uh, but it's, it's the, you know, it's the same job essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I uh, teach uh, philosophy classes uh, and, uh, and, you know, that's, that's what, you know, that's what the day job is, but I also, 
uh, as you say, uh, wrote this book about uh, political arguments and um, which, which then led to doing this regular segment on uh, the Michael Brooks show uh, called, called the debunk uh, where I, I kind of try to take apart, you know, different, you know, right-wing and centrist arguments and then, um, and various other things, but, you know, but most recently, uh, my own show, which started last year, uh, give them an argument, uh, which uh, which is you know does a, a mixture of of different kinds of things. Uh, there's um, you know there's there's a segment where where my friend David Griscom you know comes on to you know to talk about music. They, you know we we do um, you know we do different kinds of you know political and, uh, and and cultural commentary. But as indicated by the name, it's also very debate heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I've really appreciated that um, uh, seeing you going and debating all sorts of people on all sorts of different podcasts and, and shows. Um, just to to ease your nerves, we're not here for a debate. Uh, you know, I guess it'll be more of a discussion, but I think you'll find that we have quite a lot. Whatever the in subject common. matter, you would win. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. We're not we're not trained scientists. Everyone uh, who's listened to even one episode of the podcast knows that we're always in disbelief at how how intelligent uh, our scientists that come on are. They're absolute props to them. They're, they're amazing. Um, so I guess we can start with your book, um, Give Them an mm-hmm. Argument, which yeah. I've got here. I haven't completely finished, uh, but mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. It, was, it felt so novel to read something that, that felt like it, it was um, really contemporary, like it, something mm-hmm. philo- philosophical, but that still touched on today's issues that are so prevalent like um like the the far right online i think i've never really seen a book that attacked that topic specifically through philosophy like logic which is your specialty um so i guess my first question is what made you put this on the cover david hume uh (laughs) (laughs) shushing ben shapiro Yeah, uh, so in a in approximate way, uh, I I asked my friend Ryan Lake, uh, who's a philosophy professor, and and he also does a, a philosophy themed web comic called uh, uh, Chaos Pet. Uh, although I think now the comic is on this other website called the Daily News. Um, to uh, you know, if you wanted to uh, to draw something for uh, for the cover, and he's the one who came up with that, but it's also something that he he came up with because one of the uh the big themes of the book is about um you know is represented by that image so um you know ben shapiro who you see there on the cover uh is is fond of saying uh, facts don't care about your feelings mm-hmm. by which he seems to be to indicate that uh, you know fuzzy headed leftists come to uh, their moral and political conclusions on the basis of you know of their feelings uh, whereas uh, hard-headed conservatives like him come to their co- political conclusions on the basis of logic and facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since a big part of the book is about trying to think about what the relationship actually is uh, between all of those categories, uh, and and my my claim, which which is derived from this 18th century philosopher David Hume. Uh, is that there is there are no political conclusions you know without uh, without feelings that 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 would <laughs> that would make sense so a or to put the thought more precisely um, once you've decided what your political or moral goals are then facts can be very relevant 
in uh, in helping you figure out how to achieve them. That uh, you can look at different plans that have been tried, you know, in, in different contexts, and you know, see which ones worked out better. For example, uh, so that makes sense. But you can't logically derive from just neutral facts what uh, what your moral or political goals should be in the first place. Uh, so ultimately, you know, when uh, when you talk when we talk about which goals you care about, uh, you can maybe logically extrapolate that from some more basic goal that you care about, you know, in a more fundamental way, but once you kind of reach bottom, right, you know, the things that you care about in the most basic ways, uh, then, um, then that's, that's kind of it, you know, that there's, yeah. there's no, um, you know, you certainly can't, you certainly can't derive it from, uh, from the non, uh, from the like regular neutral empirical mm. scientific, you know, facts. So this is, um, you know, which like, uh, so this is something David Hume made a big point of. This is sometimes called the fact value gap or, you know, the is ought gap, you know, that, that statements about what, what should happen, what ought to happen, what, what would be right or wrong, what outcomes would be just or unjust, uh, can't be derived from premises that are just about is, yeah. about, you know, about what's, what is in fact true. That doesn't tell you by itself what should be. It could be relevant to it. But only in combined with some sort of normative principles, only when combined with some kind of principles about uh, about ought, right? You need you yeah. need to have ought in to get ought out. Uh, so, you know, can, to pick a concrete example, uh, and, and continue to uh, to pick on Mr. Shapiro, there's a uh, there's a, a wonderful interview from uh, I think mid 2019. Uh, where uh, Shapiro was promoting his new book, uh, The Right Side of History, How Reason and Moral Purpose Made the West yeah. Great. Uh, and he was interviewed on the BBC. Oh, yes, of uh, course, that interview. <laughs> yes. Uh, and he, uh, he very quickly uh, decided that the, uh, the interviewer, uh, Andrew Neal, was, was a biased liberal. He ended up storming off. There are many funny things about this, not least the fact that uh, Andrew Neal is actually a fairly right-wing Tory. He's just a BBC interviewer, so he doesn't do the kind of ridiculous softball interview that uh, Shapiro is used to for the United States. Uh, but what a really telling moment in the interview is because Neil is giving Shapiro a little bit of a hard time. He feels like that's his job as a journalist, asking tough questions. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's challenging him on his support for um, uh, his support for. Uh, extremely harsh anti-abortion laws that were just passed in the state of Georgia. Uh, and, you know, he's, you know, sort of rattles off the, the grisly details of the law. Uh, you know, you get this prison term for an abortion, even at this, you know, many months, whatever. Uh, how, how could you support this? Isn't this barbaric? Uh, and, and Shapiro says in his typical, you know, kind of sped up chipmunk voice, you know, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that, that is what uh, it's like. <laughs> well, you yeah. It, 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 it's science, science. So the reason I support this is science. Uh, and what he means by that is that, you know, science, you know, tells us that uh, a, a fetus is, you know, alive and genetically human, you know, from, yeah. from the moment of, of conception, you know, it's a human life. But that's only relevant to whether abortion is even wrong, never mind, you know, what the laws should be about it. If you start from the moral principle, 
that anything that's alive and genetically human has a moral right to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, that's where all the action is. That's where the entire debate about abortion lies is whether that's the, the case. And, and science uh, can't tell you anything about that. That's just a separate subject. So uh, because what you have to do there is, is you have to sort of think through and, and this again, I mean, this is where logic applies, but it's just that you can't do, um, you know, you're not logically extrapolating just for the facts. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to think through your moral intuitions and make them consistent with each other. Uh, so mm-hmm. say, okay, well, uh, do I actually think that, that, it, that anything that's a lot, you know, that the relevant category for having a right to life is, is being uh, alive and genetically human, uh, that, that's that's not obvious uh you know if uh if like the aliens on star trek really existed yeah uh you know presumably uh they would have a, a right to life you know we, we we couldn't just you know kill them for food or whatever uh so uh so even though they wouldn't be uh genetically you know genetically human so you know if if vulcans would have a right to life then then the genetically human thing can't be a uh, necessary condition for having that right. Is it even a sufficient condition? Mm-hmm. If, if scientists found some amazing ways to, to keep a, a human hand alive in a laboratory, you know, without being linked to a human body, mm-hmm. would any of the yeah. experiment be murder? You know, again, it's, it's not obvious to me that, that, that it would be. Uh, and, and this is the discussion to have. So is what gives you a right to life really being genetically human? Is it, uh, is it being, um, you know, is it being sentient, having the capacity for things like pain or pleasure, in which case, of course, that's that's bad news as, as far as yeah. uh, you know, most people's dietary habits. Uh, is is it is it, uh, you know, are there some rational capacities you need? You know, so, and so these are hard. He's definitely reducing the debate to very uh, kind of. Yeah. Easy yeah. These, these are all. Yeah, these are all really difficult questions. But the point is that um, that science can't tell you anything mm-hmm. about them. Right. These, these aren't scientific questions. Uh, this, so like Immanuel Kant, who, who, you know, slightly disagreed with Hume about some of this stuff, but he, he absorbed the basic point, has a nice example in uh, his uh, groundwork, the metaphysics and morals, where he says, look, the same medical knowledge that could uh, that could tell you how to save somebody's life uh, could also tell you how to poison them, you know, without mm-hmm. and get away with it. Yeah. You know, like yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the medical knowledge is like, you know, if you have some well. To extrapolate from Kant's point, like you could take like the real life thing that happened like what, a couple of years ago when uh, the semi-fascist Brazilian leader Jair Bolsonaro was uh, ended up in the emergency room after a stabbing, you know, and and yeah. if you're if you're a doctor trying to decide whether to save him or kill him, <laughs> uh, you know, then, then, then. I swear that guy gets like he's in the hospital like every other day and he just won't die. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> <laughs> the theory is that he has had COVID about six times so far. <laughs> but I, I want to pick up on that because I think that's uh, not the Bolsonaro thing, but <laughs> the uh, facts and logic and emotions thing. Uh, I just want to read uh, quickly a part of your book. Uh, this is just from sure. chapter one. So this isn't a, a huge spoiler for everyone that wants to read the book. But um, so Ben writes... Um, where is it yeah star trek having given generation of generations of american television viewers the very mistaken idea that logic has something to do with being unemotional 
both free market libertarians and creepy online ethno-nationalists delight in contrasting their investments in facts and logic with the left's alleged obsession with emotions. Many leftists quite correctly sense that the point of this rhetorical strategy is to turn the disturbing lack of empathy with the victims of right-wing policies into a virtue. And I think that really hit the nail on the head. Maybe not the Star Trek bit. I'm not sure how much I agree with that. But at least the um, this idea that being unemotional, th- there's definitely something wrong with the rights, the, at least the online rights, obsession with being uh, unemotional. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I guess I, my question would be, how do we how do we show these people that there is value in being uh, logical and emotional yeah well i mean the real the real trick is that it's it's not that like they actually are um you know it's, it's not like any of these people actually are you know uh you know vulcans who who, who don't you know who, who don't have who don't have emotions or in whatever incredibly inconsistent way that was ever portrayed in the show uh that they are right just as emotional uh as as anybody else if not more so uh it's uh that's that's not the problem uh it's it's just that they're not owning it that you know that they're uh that they're portraying it as as if they were somehow you know just getting their moral or political conclusions straight from uh the the non-moral facts uh but of course that's that's impossible that if you um if you only you know if you were only interested in in factual information and and you didn't have any sort of normative goals then you wouldn't have any political conclusions you know you 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 just you just wouldn't care what happened one yeah. way or the other so obviously they they do care a great deal uh they uh, they care um you know in in the uh in the Shapiro case right you know he he cares about uh you know, he cares about, you know, preserving fetal life, uh, in, uh, in the, uh, cares about not having gays over for dinner, things like that. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, notoriously. That's right. Uh, that, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll go on, uh, he'll yeah. go on Dave, uh, Dave Rubin's show, but he wouldn't, uh, and it definitely uh, has something to do with the, I think a lot of people's, kind of blocking blocking out their own emotional responses and maybe a lot of you know toxic sort of masculinity in, is involved i think uh not being able to be in touch with your emotions is just a rejection of it really yeah so i i think that uh i like that you said in, in touch with because again I, I, don't, I don't think that it's it's really a question of, of being emotional or, or, or not being emotional I, I think it's I think it's really just a question of, of being honest, you know, being honest mm-hmm. about it. Um, that if, if you're a, um, you know, if you're a libertarian, you know, uh, and you have the sort of view that a lot of libertarians do, which is um, what oftentimes when people hear like the word logic, when, when they think about politics, it's what they think of that you've got like a couple of really basic principles and then you just extrapolate everything else from that. So, you know, you've got some principle about property rights and non-aggression and, you know, and then you just sort of doggedly follow it wherever it leads uh, that they think, Oh, that's, that's being logical. Of course uh, it's not right. I mean, if, if logic is, is the study of uh, when arguments succeed in, in delivering their conclusions or not, uh, then, 
Sure. I mean, you could have a, you know, argument from a couple of a priori principles. That's, that's a good argument, you know, at least as good as the principles are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but it's, it's not even like, you know, if you never actually pause to question the principles or, or, or see if there are, there are other ones that you have to balance them against, Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's not really very good reasoning in a larger sense. And, you know, a historical argument is an argument, a sociological argument is an argument. And ultimately, what people are uh you know are doing right when they sort of you know robotically apply you know this sort of libertarian you know principles to uh, to everything is you know they 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 do they care very intensely uh about you know private property rights uh yeah. and and their politics are entirely based on that the appearance of of unemotionalness which which they might encourage you know by by saying you know oh you know i'm not about you know, reels over feels. I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, yeah. you know, like, uh, is it's because they don't care yeah. about a bunch <laughs> of other goals that I think any well-adjusted human being, you know, would, would, would care about like, um, you know, whether people, you know, die of easily treatable diseases and, you know, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, uh, you know, but that, that doesn't mean that they don't care about some principle, you know, yeah. so it's, it doesn't mean that they don't care, you know, they're yeah, not emotionally yeah, yeah. invested in, in something that's just the wrong something yeah um would you say it's would it, would it be accurate to say that despite this uh is ought gap that mm. um reason debate and discussion still has that it doesn't have to devolve to talking past each other because it's it's kind of like you said kind of being honest with yourself kind of testing your principles seeing if they're um uh, uh compatible with one another i mean could, mm. yeah yeah yeah, I, I don't think you do have to uh, just be talking past each other. Uh, although I, I certainly get where the concern comes from that you that like people think um, like I'll get this, you know, about you know debating some, you know, I don't know, uh, horrendous lunatic like you know Stephen Molyneux or whatever. Oh uh, God, <laughs> absolutely uh, hate that guy. <laughs> cannot stand him. That. You know that the, the concern would be well, well. Hold on, right? Like you, you obviously have you know very, very deeply incompatible you know value systems. You know, so so art. You know, isn't this just an exercise in talking past each other? And I think that uh, one reason that that's not entirely true is that the purpose of a debate is almost never to convince the person that you're actually literally talking to Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, that's usually not possible. Um, You know, I I think most people when they, when they change their minds, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a while. It's, it's, you know, it's a process, way more of a process. If your entire, um, you know, if your entire personal and professional identity is wrapped up, you know, in, in what your political positions are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's not the, that's not the goal, right? The, the goal is to, is to convince the person in the audience who may just simply be, you know, Molyneux curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, um, and in pursuit of that goal, I think it's actually really useful if you can, if you can show people like, you know, I mean, yes, of course you're right. It, it, it's good for you to do it because you're, um you know, because, because you're, you're, you're testing, you know, your own principles for consistency and all that, you know, like, like, like making sure you have good answers to everything, but also uh, it's thing about the audience is that 
by getting people to really dig in and, and embrace particularly horrible consequences, you know, of, mm-hmm. of their positions, uh, you know, you, you can make it obvious to, uh, to everybody who's watching or listening, um, reading the transcript that uh, you have, uh, that they, that this is where, um, that the, diver- you know, you could show them what the divergence in underlying values is, you know, that, that, that like once, once you're really, once somebody's really spelling out that, you know, that, that absolute adherence to libertarian property rights uh, principles means that people, uh, that if, if people, you know, uh, people die, you know, uh, people are going to die because they're, they're GoFundMe, you know, for their insulin, yeah. you know, uh, you know, isn't, isn't successful, then they yeah. die. Uh, then, cool. uh, then I, I think, I think a lot of people for whom those principles might sound superficially appealing, uh, once, once they make that connection, right. You know, yeah, for they sure. don't sound good anymore, that's the goal. For sure. Yeah. I think it's really important to, you know, have those conversations, like you said, to really show those audiences. I think you mentioned in the interview with Zizek that, um, the, the Red Scare podcast, they interviewed, yeah. uh, Bannon. And all he had yeah. to ask was like, well, if you're a, a populist, how come you don't support Medicare for all? And it was as, as simple as yeah. that. To destroy some of these arguments with people like Ben Shapiro or whatever, they're not as logical as they uh, say they are, surprisingly enough. Um, but uh, I just noticed that you kind of like tilted your head a little bit to the left there, that uh, you have a copy of your new book behind you, Canceling Comedians Dude, While the yeah. World <laughs> um, I believe it's coming out in April. If I'm, if I'm correct that, that is correct thank you yeah it's, 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 i love the name by the way but that's something that i actually wanted to kind of touch upon here because um i'd say comparatively to the other two hosts here i'm a little bit more on twitter sadly for me to be honest with you i don't know why i do it to myself it's definitely something I should talk you to really my, shouldn't i should talk to my therapist about it to be honest but um uh, but uh you know i was kind of interested to see that every now and again I've noticed that people kind of like get angry at you for the name of the book. I was just kind of yes, wondering right. yes. why, why do you think it is that the book name it's by itself, you know, it's not even out yet. People haven't read it. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a critique of like the modern day left, the contemporary left. Why do you, yeah. why do you think people get so upset just by the name? Uh, yeah, I, I think that probably, you know, I mean, I could tell you what they say, or I could tell you my, you know, honest armchair diagnosis <laughs> of uh of why they uh of why they get upset um but uh but i think that you know i think that the basic reason for that um you know what they would say uh you know like like a very common talking point you know by, by people who have a problem with it is that uh is that they are interpreting it as saying uh, that uh, I keep on turning things off that I think would stop this from happening, but I clearly haven't figured it out. All right. Okay. Maybe that'll do it. Uh, Cause I, I, I click turn off FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, so a, uh, a lot of responses uh, to this show that you know that, that people think, oh, uh, well, what what you're saying is that the uh, the underlying subject uh, is is unimportant. So, like something that a lot of people uh, think is like a, a really you know like a really effective own is uh, that 
well, if, if the underlying thing is uh, unimportant, you know, is, is, is unimportant, then, uh, and, you know, people shouldn't be talking about it, then you talking about people talking about it, you know, uh, should, should be, should be Rats, equally, bro. you know, bad. I, I have uh, the, uh, you know, uh, so uh, writing about, you know, canceling comedians while the world burns, uh, which, which I think is, is a little funny uh, as, as a response, because the, I, thought not very subtle illusion in that title uh was to uh nero fiddling you know while while rome burns uh and mm. i don't think um like it, it, it you, you sort of imagine a uh you know a roman writing a uh a, a little I don't know. I guess they didn't have pamphlets, but you know, a scroll or something. Uh, <laughs> going around with a bag of scrolls, just like here you go. Half of them uh, just being like, "I can't read. <laughs> what is this?" Yeah, that's right. They're all <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the emperor is you know fiddling while 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 Rome burns, mm-hmm. uh, and I think nobody would think, "Oh, well, you know." And here you're, you are complaining about the emperor while Rome burns, you know, like, that's, uh, like that's, that's not really a, you know, good response, especially because once we unpack uh, the different, you know, like where the limits of that analogy, I mean, the, uh, the, the problem with Nero fiddling while, while Rome burns is that, uh, uh, is that he should have been spending that time, you know, directing efforts yeah. to, uh, to stop the fire. If he'd done that and then like he'd taken a break, a fiddling break every now and again, that would have been totally fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but uh, in, in this case, it's, uh, it's not just that, you know, a, um, or, you know, the problem isn't even primarily, you know, that's a waste of time uh, that, you know, if you, if you do like good activism and organizing, you know, 95% of the time, but then you, um, you know, but then you participate in Twitter outrage mobs the other five percent yeah. of the time. <laughs> then uh, the that five percent actually undermines some of the good work that you're doing in the yeah. other uh, the other ninety five percent because it it uh, you know it creates this absolutely toxic impression of what the left is and you know mm-hmm. and, and what we're all about that you know could not be less appealing to uh, most of the people that we want to uh, to win over and. Um, as as well as just being a, a terrible way to yeah. relate to other human beings, you know. Just I, I, I really want to touch on that actually because it's yeah. this is something that um, I've been you know discussing with friends and stuff as well. But something I really wanted your take on is uh, is uh, this kind of infighting, if you can even call it that. I, I'm not even sure we it even deserves that as a name, but um, you know, with all the the stuff that's only people on twitter i think only leftists on twitter will ever have heard of but like jimmy Dore yeah. forced the votes right. um, the aoc stuff all this stuff like i was really wondering what you think of the importance of that online debate because sometimes every now and then i do think okay well it is important to talk about these like what uh. strategical actions we should be taking but then on the other hand, it feels like it saps everyone's energy and everyone's time is so wasted sometimes on this stuff. Yeah, right. Uh, so at least in that case, I think what you can say for it is that instead of, um, you know, instead of just like, you know, screaming at people because they, uh, you know, because because they, they made a joke that you, you know, interpreted in a robotically literal way, 
uh, you're at least screaming at people about something that actually matters uh, mm-hmm. in, in, you know, ultimately, right. Which is how we could achieve uh, Medicare for all, you know, that's actually important. Uh, that's, I think as far as you can go and say something positive <laughs> yeah. about it. And, uh, and sometimes it brings out some really weird sides of, of people. Like uh, I, I just saw, I think I saw it because you retweeted it, but uh, with um, what's her name? Brianna Joy Gray um, saying, Gray, yeah. saying what she thought uh, Michael Brooks would have said on the topic, like this sort of thing. Like there's some, I don't know. It, yeah. it, it made me feel weird too. <laughs> I, I, I don't know yeah. if we like this sort of yeah. thing. I, I don't know if it's productive. I don't know if it's good. It's uh, no, no, yeah. Well, well, that's no. certainly you know. I mean, that's 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 certainly not good. Uh, and and that's like, I mean, I, I probably had a um, uh, probably should have kept my distaste to myself and you know and and and, and moved on. But it's uh, but yeah, I, I don't like um, you know without getting into any more of the nitty gritty yeah. of, of that. You know, I, I, I don't. I I I have. Um, I mean, I understand it's a game that, you know, that we, that we all play, you know, with, with some, you know, like public figures, you know, who, who are no longer with us, you know, that like, what would, um, you know, I don't know, you know, what would Christopher Hitchens, you know, thought of, you know, about the Trump administration or whatever. In this case, since Brianna and I both knew Michael, you know, I'm like, you know, he was a very good friend of mine and I, and he's somebody who, you know, who counts a lot for, you know, for a lot of people who are you know, watching this in that context, it, it struck, it struck me as really distasteful yeah. to, you know, to sort of, it's like, Oh, well, you know, he would have, you know, like my amazing argument. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a, you so, know, so do you think that people go uh, towards uh, uh, that uh, drama uh, to like, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so what I was going to say though, about the, the larger thing is that, um, I think it is telling, you know, even though the underlying thing in force of vote, you know, is, is important how to achieve Medicare for all that there are like two levels of discussion that I think are, are really important to separate for the, the purposes of what you're asking about, which are one, the like merits of the proposed tactic, you know, what, like, you know, Jimmy Dore and Brianna Joy Gray, you know, think that, um, uh, you know, think that, that AOC and the others should should do to uh, to to help you know move the ball forward for you know for Medicare for all in Congress, and and I'm totally happy to uh, to have that discussion uh, and you know probably honestly you know I've devoted much more time to it than it deserves but you know it's it's uh, but like I, I wrote a long jacket article mm-hmm. sort of explaining you know in excruciating detail exactly why I I, I don't think that the tactic makes sense. But that's also at that level, right? Okay, here's a, this like yeah. proposed parliamentary tactic. Uh, here's why I don't think it makes sense. I'm totally happy to treat that as a as a friendly and extremely minor disagreement between close allies. Yeah. That um, yeah. sure, I mean, I, whatever you know, this is like if if you're just sort of throwing it out as like a friendly suggestion, like hey, here's something they could try, you know, then, then then we can we can have that debate. But of course, that's not what it was in practice. Uh, that it's that in uh, in practice, uh, what you know, ninety nine percent of the discourse you know about about force the vote was about uh, was about uh, yelling that that people. Um, well, I don't know if I should even, you know, I should even, I should even quote it. You know, maybe this were, we're PG here, but. Uh, <laughs> it's all right. Uh, you can go, you can go ahead. I think yeah, we've, yeah, yeah. we've so, said so, some so, more stuff. 
you know, like, you know, Jimmy Dore yelling into the camera that, uh, that, you know, people are fucking sellouts, you know, cause, cause they don't agree with this and that, uh, that, you know, Anna Kasparian, you know, is, is like a NATO shill, you know, which doesn't even have anything to do with anything, but, you know, she, uh, you know, she interviewed, uh, Madeline Albright once and it was definitely not a friendly interview if you watch the yeah. whole thing, but, uh, but, you know, they were in the same room together, which is kind of good enough for this kind of thing. Uh, and, so it wasn't really, uh, you know, like what it was about in practice was this this kind of like orgy of uh, of internally directed, uh, you know, hatred, which which does definitely, you know, feed into that larger issue. And then maybe also, I guess, you know, would be allow me to to uh, to directly answer the question about why, you know, people people would get this up uh, this upset, you know, about. Uh, the the title you know the title of uh, of the new book uh, you know since after all that they, they, you know they haven't read it but uh, I think that some I think that people have a lot of people have a kind of Pavlovian reaction to um, to even any kind of reference to the fact that stuff like this happens mm-hmm. uh, that um, you know like just seeing those words together you know canceling you know comedians uh, is is something that I think a lot of people really resent because they feel um, they feel judged uh, for for something that has some cathartic value to them, uh, you know, which which is yelling at people on Twitter, uh, and uh, and it's something uh, that I, I think the larger issue is that the reason that that's an important release for them and they they resent the idea that it would be taken away or, or judged or anything like that uh, is because of the deep sense mm. of powerlessness of mm. the, uh, the contemporary uh, far left that, uh, that, that we know that it's incredibly difficult, you know, to, to take the levers of, of real world power, yeah. uh, you know, the, so how do you, how do you suggest we do that then? How do we use yeah. that energy productively and move away from all this Twitter drama and the bullshit? And actually, because I, I know you've been part of, um, what is it called in the US? DSA, Democratic Socialist yeah, yeah, America. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, how do we yeah. take our energy and push it towards more um, productive movement buildings, organization that really like creates things, actually gets things done and not just debates and talks and, and drama? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't have any, you know, particularly amazing insight here, but I, but I, I guess I'll, I'll just run through the things that actually I, I do think, I do think are useful, you know, which I don't, I don't think this could be anything shocking on this list, but, um, but yeah, I think uh, that, you know, left-wing civil society organizations like Democratic Socialists of America, uh, you know, can could definitely uh, play you know a useful role. I, I'm you know I'm uh, I've got my criticisms, but you know they, they they still get my money every month. You know, because <laughs> uh, it's, it's useful. You know, I, yeah. I think it's useful that that it it exists. Uh, and if we had something else, we'd have all the same problems. So you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still a member of it. Uh, and it's it's certainly an encouraging sign that it has you know grown so much in the last several years that. Um, you know, at the 2015 convention, there were 6,000 people in Democratic Socialist America, uh, most of whom 
you know, I mean, really, it was like almost a glorified mailing list. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and now uh, it's, it's approaching 100,000, I think. Wow. Uh, and uh, it's, um, and, you know, many more of those people, you know, I think are, are, are real, you know, are real active members. And I think it does a lot of, uh, a lot of useful things uh, in, uh, in, in supporting, um, you know, left-wing primary candidates in, uh, in organizing tenants, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to resist evictions and things like that. Uh, in, uh, you know, like in, uh, in efforts, uh, you know, like uh, to, uh, to support, uh, to support labor unions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think all these things, all these things are very useful. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I think that even in terms of, uh, of Medicare for all, I think uh, that doing, you know, like eat, I mean, it's complicated by the pandemic, of course, but uh, you know, win safe, uh, you know, doing door to door uh, canvassing, uh, you know, is, is something that's, that's been done effectively by DSA and also like the nurses union, national nurses United, which is one of the major organizations that supports uh, Medicare for all. Uh, I think that the, I think uh, the, electoral component is obviously you know um is obviously inescapable that you know that like the real you know the real re- like whatever you think about mm-hmm. this tactic force the vote uh the the thing the larger issue that gets lost in this is that the, the reason we don't have medicare for all is not that you know aoc isn't engaged in the right tactics uh in in congress whatever you think those right tactics are it's that uh there's one you know it's that we don't have hundreds of AOCs in Congress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I think that, that what DSA or like justice Democrats, which is a group that, you know, that works to recruit primary challengers against more centrist Democrats and, and, and then, you know, knock doors for them and all that stuff. I think that's really useful. And, and I also think that, and um, you know, I think, uh, I mean, I, I think it's important to have, a, have groups like DSA, both because uh, both because of their, contributions to these efforts but also because that's the sort of wing of uh you know bureaucratic you know progressivism that actually has actually has its eyes on the much larger prize which is um which is a a vision of of what the uh of of an end goal of democratic socialist politics that makes it actually socialist and not merely you know social democratic uh, and and I guess the last thing I'd say is uh, is that this is the this is the hardest part and and again I'm, I'm certainly not going to pretend to have a bunch of well worked out you know ideas about about how to do it but uh, but I, I think that there's no escaping from the fact that a, a, a hugely important part of this um, and you know also I realize a lot of this I could say it is very 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 U.S. centric you know that yeah yeah of course of course. Know, you know but like uh but in the u.s context especially uh i think that i think that part of it that's um that is uh is incredibly important but also incredibly difficult is rebuilding the labor movement because successful um you know socialist movements elsewhere you know in the world uh i mean unless you live in some you know the sort of country where you can have like the gorilla foco up in the mountains or something you know uh are, are based on a, uh, an organized working class and the mm-hmm. uh, rate of private sector unionization in the United States is like a little over 6%. It's nothing. Yeah, yeah uh, for sure. and, and so, so you, you have to have that organized working class at the base 
or else ultimately i think uh you're you're not going to get everything else mm-hmm. uh, else that i've been i've been talking about so i think uh yeah i think i think organized in your workplace i think socialist organizations like dsa i think those bureaucratic electoral efforts i mean i think those are all the things that are actually uh, that are actually incredibly useful, you know, and, and we could, again, multiply the list by talking about things like tenant organizing. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, these are all things that uh, in order to do, it's not really my interest to tell people this, of course, because I should want them to, uh, to stay, to stay online, to consume all the time. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, but in, but if you are actually going to do any of these things that might really be effective, you, you actually do have to log the fuck off at some point. Very, very true. Um, I do want to move us on to our little um, traditional game, which uh, sure. I hope you'll have a bit of fun with. Uh, and actually, Jamie, uh, I think I finally yeah. found a name for it. You can okay. say you can say no. You can say no. It's okay. But I thought you were um, going to draw attention to the fact that this is the tiebreaker. Oh yes. Also, <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't know this game, uh, it's basically an overglorified uh, animal sound guessing game. Um, so that we kind of stick to the nature and environment bit in some ways, and uh, it's proved to be quite fun over over the few times that we've played it. So we just kept it along, and I've decided today that maybe we should call it Noah's Bark. Is that oh, terrible? Man. Is that good? I don't know. <laughs> so, so what Scandor was saying earlier, Ben, that he was going to grill you on environmental stuff. This is what he meant. This what he really meant was that I have bark. to get a yeah. animal noises. <laughs> We will okay, get, well, I might not even be able to do this. We will, we, will, we will talk after this, I promise. We will talk a little bit about environment because I'm really curious about your thoughts. Sure, on it. Sure, but, sure. Um, so I've, I'm going to send now a uh, Google Drive link. You should yep. get it now. And then uh, listen to... It's a, it's a whole minute long, so I think you can just listen to the first 10, 15 seconds. And okay. so for anyone who doesn't know the game, uh, the way that it works is that Jamie here represents the host team uh who i guess Usman will be uh supplementing as well so you can take turns jamie newsman uh answering oh, for the host geez. team and ben represents the uh, guest team with our illustrious guests over the the few weeks that we've played this so far the score is still three to three so jamie has actually almost been toppled off his his throne uh, he started out really strong with several victories in a row, and then just I don't know what happened, man. You just lost and lost. I've and always lost. had a technical majority. I've never <laughs> lost that. So we're hoping, Ben, that you can please put him in this place and uh, win no. this for the guest team, uh, at least for the time being. So, can you access the file? Yeah. All right. All right. Great. I always make sure to pick some really weird noises from obscure animals. <laughs> Jamie, I can see you just embarrassed and confused. <laughs> All right, so last time uh, the host team went first. So Ben, any thoughts on what the hell that was? <laughs> I picked them really well. I promise. Oh god. Yeah, I, I mean, when I f- first started, I was like, "Did he just send me like a cat?" You know, because like like the first couple seconds sounded like meowing, but then I don't know what the hell it was up to that. 
Um, so Ben, first guess. You get a first guess. The host team gets a first guess, and then I'll start giving hints, and it'll become quite clear. And then we'll be taken out of our misery, and the game will end. <laughs> so koala bear. I, I have no idea. What, no, what it... Koala? No, unfortunately, no. That's that's uh, not it. Well, I can't Jamie play Erisman? anymore because I just saw the file name. So. Um... I was going to say that I've seen the oh, file name. <laughs> you know what? I see, I see oh, I, I well. have the file, so uh, now so, I see the name. But well, I didn't, uh, well, I feel like... I, feel like... I, I, I should have... I, you know, if I'd been paying more attention, I could have I could have sounded like I really, really knew. I actually you, thought yeah, for you a could second have... that you saw the name, because you're like, oh, it's like a cat, you know? And <laughs> you're going to pretend like you didn't see the name. And then I'd be like, oh, it kind of sounds no, like a I... cat. Genuinely did not see well, the day. <laughs> I've somehow outdone myself as uh, the worst possible host. So this game will have to be a technical tie. Because... I, think, I think it was Ben because he, he said cat and it was, it's just yeah. a, big, a big cat, you know? Hmm. I don't know if Jamie would accept that as a, a, a real victory. Um, also just no, I'll never lose again. <laughs> yeah, uh, we might have to. We might have to wait until the next episode with Rebecca Willis to to be able to 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 really have Jamie toppled. I'm so sorry, Ben. This has never never happened to us before in our six times of playing this game. Um, hopefully, you can you can forgive us for that. Anyway, as as we said, very fun. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I'll be super. I'll be super careful next time. I don't want to take the whole time to find another one, another animal, and everything. So we'll just call this a technical tie and move on to uh, the more important stuff of the environment. Uh, so, Ben, in terms of environment and climate change, yeah. Um, yeah. For for us, for Jamie and I, and and certainly I think Usman, and to some extent as well. Uh, the environment is so important and, and for me specifically i realized that it touches on everything like everything is affected by the environment because at the end of the day we're living on this little rock in space that is just hurling at whatever speed um and so everything we do in terms of economy in terms of social projects um industry all of that it's all affected by and all uh, affecting the environment and there's this real relationship that i feel like not a lot of people have properly appreciated and even on the socialist side uh, which I, I you consider yourself a socialist right um whatever oh, that yeah. word means nowadays uh, but um i think even on the socialist side i still see a little bit of what's the right word of uh, i still see people not at least to me not willing to properly acknowledge the role of the environmental crisis and how devastating it really is mm-hmm. so i was wondering what your thoughts were on the on that personally in, uh, in your own politics. yeah yeah okay uh sure so i mean honestly i think that you know you you said in in setting that up you know socialist you know what whatever that means and then you and then you you asked me about um you know acknowledging the scope of the environmental crisis and uh and one initial thought i'd throw out is that there's a there's a a, a really sticky relationship between uh between the two parts of that question because uh you know i i think i'm you know like have um 
you know, like, like what I say, what I, what I say, I'm, I'm a socialist, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't just like, I don't just mean I'm a, I'm a social Democrat. Like, like, I really think that we need a, uh, uh, I really think that we need a, uh, a, a way of, of organizing the economy, you know, that, that would be quite different, you know, from, uh, from capitalism. Uh, and in fact, I, I'll, I'll plug, uh, probably not coming out until like late next year, because very little of it has even been written yet, but, um, but um, I'm working on a, uh, a book about what that might look like uh, with uh, my friend and Jacobin editor, Bhaskar Sankara, and also our uh, a, uh, Australian economist named Mike Beggs uh, called uh, The Blueprint, uh, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, which is about what a post-capitalist society, uh, you know, might, might look like. Uh, but why, why, you know, why I think that's, that's relevant to your question is that this is something that I, I struggle with a lot. I, I don't, I don't have a good answer to it because I think two things that, you know, fit together very awkwardly, if at all, <laughs> uh, one of the, one of which is that realistically um, the path towards achieving some sort of, you know, post-capitalist future, is a very long one uh, that, you know, we, we were just talking, you know, be- before we, um, uh, you know, before I brilliantly, you know, I, I identified that cat-like noise uh, as <laughs> about the, uh, the sort of challenges for, for the left in terms of even achieving the uh, social democratic basics, you know, certainly in America. Uh, and obviously the situation is very different in lots of other places, but it's, it's, but there has been a, you know, general, you know, global decline, you know, of the left over the course of the last several decades. Uh, and that's, you know, like they're starting to be signs of hope, you know, in, in various places, you know, but in a, in a very tentative and complicated way. Um, so, so that's the first thing that it's a very long, you know, and, and twisty path to, uh, to get there, you know, that, that, that realistically, you know, you can't just sort of will, uh, you know, immediate radical change in, into being by wanting it hard enough, you know, you, you have to at least start social democracy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? I think all that. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it's going to be really hard to do anything about, you know, about the, the potentially catastrophic effects of global climate change without moving past capitalism. Mm-hmm. And that that's a, um, and that that's a, a very, um, you know, like, like there's the, the clock is ticking, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. As, far, as far as that goes. And so I don't know uh, how to, how to put those two, you know, I mean, both of those seem correct to me and, and I don't, I don't, I don't have a great answer about how to, uh, to balance the, uh, the two uh, or at least how to balance the two without just sort of accepting, you know, a, a certain amount of catastrophe, you know, between now and then, which obviously, you know, I very much prefer not to. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, like we've we've already seen, you know, uh, devastating human consequences of uh, of global climate change. That, um, you know, that the uh, you know the the certainly the increased frequency of um, you know natural disasters and such. You know, other natural disasters that have devastating effects, or 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 even you know, in some ways, actually worse. Uh, you know the you know, some, some analysts think that, um, a, a major part of, you know, let's put it this way, not of, uh, 
of creating the conditions, you know, for uh, the uh, the civil war in Syria, you know, had to do with water yeah. shortages, yeah. you know, that again themselves have to do with global climate change, and and that, you know, created millions of refugees, you know, all kinds of human devastation there, and um, and I think is is a preview of of what some like really uh, you know some really grim things that might lie ahead because if you because uh, you wouldn't need you know, uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the, the Shapiro punching bag one more time, you know, and, and there's this, there's this classic uh, clip uh, where, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro says, uh, you know, well, he's not, you know, he's not sure whether it's even really happening, but let's say that it is, and, you know, and, and, oh, yeah. and, and, and know let's say that, you know, the, the water, you know, like the, uh, uh you know o- ocean level rises you know by such and such amount over such sweet courts of time whatever no big deal you just sell your seaside property mm-hmm. uh and um there's <laughs> and of, of course the the classic thing you know is there's a um youtuber uh h bomber guy. guy yes big uh, shout out yeah. to him absolutely love him <laughs> yeah who, who has who has this 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 great clip where he's 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 responding to that says you know sell it to who bad fucking aquaman right? uh, breaks through but, the wall literally <laughs> but um but the real like thing is is that um you wouldn't you know i mean yeah and i love that idea that everybody like you know just just anybody we're imagining being affected by this is like somebody who has like you know who's like is of the class where they'd be like, oh yeah, I'll sell my seaside property, But the real thing is, is that you wouldn't have to have very much of the world become uninhabitable. It, you know, it could be a tiny, tiny percentage of the currently habitable land in the world became uninhabitable uh, in order to have a refugee crisis that would dwarf what happened with the, the Syrian civil war. And then you put that together with, um, you know, with the rise of, uh, you know, of right-wing ethno-nationalist pseudo-populism, you know, a la, you know, Trump, Bolsonaro, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's, that, I mean, I, I, that's, that's, that's extremely grim, you know, so, so I, I, I would like to head that off if possible, uh, you know, uh, but of course that's, that's really difficult in a, yeah. uh, in a system where you have uh, the, um you know what? What are what we could eventually call you know the means of production, or you know to be more pedantic about it, you know the means of production, distribution, exchange, you know, extraction, etc., uh, owned by a, a very small percentage of uh, of the population uh, that is uh, who have a not entirely irrational belief that they can shield themselves from from a lot of the worst effects uh, of these processes. Uh, so. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to bring the, uh, bring the, the mood of the conversation down too much. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, it's important to talk about, it's, it's important to talk about the actual dangers of it. And that's something that I think a lot of um, people, even, even the ones that seem to want things like, you know, the Green New Deal and such um, yeah. on the left are still wildly uninformed about the actual consequences, the like possibilities of climate change. Like, for example, one that I always go back to is the importance of coral reefs. Um, you know, coral reefs are so much more than just this like pretty little thing in the ocean that David Attenborough gets to talk about every now and then. And, the uh, you know, people in Australia get to swim near and stuff. Coral reefs are uh, in Asia, for example, just on its own. Coral reefs 
uh, provide about fish for about 1 billion people. Like that's 1 billion people that rely on fish for, uh, for food, uh, almost that many for, you know, for work, for example. Um, and we're, if, if we don't have coral reefs, then that causes a huge, huge, huge problem for the fishing industry everywhere on earth, really everywhere. And the truth of the fact is that the best estimates we have is that by two degrees, we lose um, 99.9% of coral reefs because they're either bleached or drowned. Um, yeah, <laughs> coral reefs can be drowned as well if they're too deep in the water and things. Um, and so for me, the, the, and this is just like one of thousands of different effects, uh, including, you know, uh, desertification, which, like you said, rightly, uh, in part led to the Syrian revolution and the Syrian civil war. And all of these things, like they, they might cause a lot of a lot of dread at first, but I think it can really unite us in this fight towards something that we know for a fact is happening, rather than, you know, the kind of the usual stuff I feel we, we fight about, which are our kind of, um, what's the word? which are, are more like your own observation of what's happening. Whereas this is really like the best science that we have proves this sort of thing. And I, I think we should be uniting more with, you know, people like the, the Greens, for example. I, I, I'm always saddened to see Greens and, and lefties not really like going at it together, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, met, you mentioned the uh, the Green New Deal earlier. And, and I think that... Uh, I think that that's that's important, not just in, in you know in, in itself, but as as a um, as a kind of totem of uh, of a larger <laughs> you know solution to some of this because because they're like one one big problem um, I think just structurally you know with 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 organizing around uh, something like global climate change is like you said that it's not something, you know, that it's, it's, it's for the most part in most contexts, you know, less something, oh, you know, you, you see it, right. You know, then, then something you're, you're asking people to do on behalf of long-term consequences uh, that they don't necessarily see. They have to, you know, read about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, and then that I think particularly can be particularly dangerous when, um, when the, the things that are proposed uh, are like uh, you know eco austerity you know like like yeah. that you that, that people that you're sort of asking you know ordinary people to sacrifice you know their their short term interests uh, in order uh, to do something about this which might be you know something you can you know certainly make a moral case for you know but it's it's very difficult politically uh, to uh, to make that uh, to make that happen which is particularly a problem because if um, you know, to, to do anything particularly meaningful, you know, about, about these issues, you know, you have to overcome, you know, like extremely powerful vested interests. And you definitely can't do that if you're not, you know, appealing to, you know, the great mass of people. And it's, it's very difficult to appeal to the great mass of people on the basis of sort of, okay, well, you know, this is what, you know, this is what science tells us will happen in 10 years, you know, uh, if, if especially if that's something that seems to uh, that seems to cut against uh, interests that are that are right there, like you know, like like I I, I need to drive to work, you know, I, I don't yeah, want yeah, to more for exactly. <laughs> uh, and and so without pretending to 
you know have anything like all the answers about how to how to square that circle i, I think that the even just on a rhetorical level you know the idea of something like a green new deal i think is really is really important because because the more that it's possible to to frame this in a way that that melds those the um the short-term uh economic interests uh of ordinary people with uh you know pursuit of those environmental goals like the the, the more of a fighting chance those environmental goals have uh so you know if if you can if you can say uh look uh what it would mean you know to and this is even though i think oftentimes the salesmanship is not what it should be you know like this is yeah, at least the sure. core sort of uh thought you know behind the uh the green new deal is is to say look uh actually you know actually having a complete you know transition of you know the the energy infrastructure you know within a very short period of time would be a massive massive jobs program and and I think the more that you can you can play that up, you know, the better off you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was wondering though, there's a there's kind of this movement uh, within the environmental spheres, especially within kind of critical environmentalist uh, theories and such, that have been cr- heavily critiquing things like the Green New Deal. And we've had some some of those people on, like um, Alexander Dunlap yeah. always comes to mind, a great fellow, um, and they they really point out that. Um, in some ways, according to them, we have been kind of duped in some ways to think that um, that things like renewable energy are uh, entirely clean when really they uh, require a lot of metals, oftentimes taken from countries in Africa or in Asia. They're already poor enough. Uh, and that kind of where, where the, the mining industries, for example, have taken over everything. So it prevents them from diversifying their economies and actually like thriving yeah. as societies. And so, and a lot of those people, what they're saying to us, at least the ones that we've had on is that yeah. the, the solution mm-hmm. is, is really complex, but it involves kind of uh, uh, obviously going for renewables because that's the best we have. It's better than the the fossil fossil fuel heavy stuff but not to be mistaken about the truth of what it entails the toxic waste that solar panels cause for example things like that and instead to look for de-energization and to for degrowth and things like that and to to pair those two things up and to understand that we to reach those goals we need to de-energize and degrow and go renewable as well uh, where we can so i wonder what that means for a socialist program and for for like how do we get people to understand if if this is true how do we get people to understand that like these huge sacrifices need to be made in terms of energy for example we might have to look at you know um the absolute necessary kind of places and institutions that need energy every year like should we allow for example um i don't know like I can't even think of, of them, but but should we allow such institution to have this amount of power? Or should there be quotas? You know that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't look. Uh, I mean, I, I I can't even identify an ocelot noise. You know, with, uh, that, that that says uh, that like hasn't spelled out for me right in the name of the file. You know, so uh, I'm, I'm certainly not going to uh, pretend to be able to weighed in in a kind of informed way to uh to to these kinds of debates about um 
uh, about what's possible, uh, you know, with, with, with renewables and, you know, degrowth and, you know, what, what, uh, you know, various kinds of technological developments that, you know, might or might not be realistic to hope for, uh, you know, might, uh, might show us about that. You know, I mean, I know that, for example, my friend Lee Phillips, uh, you know, has a very different perspective than the guests, you know, who, who, who you've mentioned, but I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I, I would not be remotely capable of, you know, taking his part of that yeah. argument, you know, or the other one, right? You know, I, I don't know. Uh, but I think, um, you know, I, I think that if, if your, your guests who, who say things like this uh, are right, then, uh, then that's, that's very, you know, that's very bad news politically, because that means uh, that that really, um, like, that means that we, uh, that, that you do need a, a certain amount of, of eco austerity. And then if, and then uh, trying, especially, especially if that's happening within the context of, of the, you know, the existing system. Yeah. You know, I, don't, I don't know if I would call it eco austerity, because I think there, there are ways to do things like degrowth without austerity. Like it's, it's, okay. um, you know, it's, it, it means also understanding that things like GDP aren't all that they, you know, are, are supposed to be uh, this kind of grand measure of things um it's it's well, a, but, but, it, but it does it, it does mean limiting you know uh having like much low, like having lower you know like household energy you know consumption yeah uh, than yeah somewhat we have, right, yeah. We have, yeah. have yeah. right now uh so if and yeah i mean if again if if so then that that makes the, the grim picture well, household really household i don't know i i guess it's more like um for example there's this plastic making plant in uh in scotland that uses up uh, more electricity than edinburgh um glasgow and uh third city i can't remember like three major cities of scotland and that one plastic plant creates more uh, uses up more energy than those three cities altogether so i think it's more it's more on the level of industry and things like that rather than, than that. And I think it creates an argument for planned economies and for socialism than uh, if it's the case. Yeah, I hope so. Right. You know, cause, cause again, I, I think that the more, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, again, I, I don't, you know, I don't know who's uh, you know, who's right about these arguments about um you know about the the specific technological fixes, but but I I, I do know that the um, that the more that you end up having to to say that the the people that you would need to appeal to in order to do this uh, have to um, you know have to have you know who are already living you know in a god awful neoliberal hellscape you know have to uh, uh, you know have have to make you know lifestyle sacrifices then uh, then the you know the the harder uh you know yeah, the, sure. uh, the the political road for it is uh you know whereas um you know whereas to the extent that you know, say if we you know you know if we could just switch you know if we could just just switch the you know those products from being made of plastic to you know to be made of something else that's produced in some other way or you know then uh then i think uh so you can have you know, you could frame it in a way, you know, that the, uh, that the, the interests that are adversely affected, you know, aren't the interests of most people, uh, then it's, it's relatively, you know, I mean, that, that, I, I mean, it certainly doesn't make it easy, but, you know, it might yeah. make it possible. Yeah, I guess it's never, never easy to be uh, on the, on the right side of history. <laughs> <laughs> on that, 
Ben Shapiro. Um, I just have like a final cheeky little question for you, Ben. Yeah. And sure. if you don't want to answer, that's fine. But I, it's just a little bit of fun. Like you mentioned earlier uh, in your interview with Zizek, uh, the Red Scare Girls interviewed uh, Bannon. I know that, for example, you yeah. interview uh, people like Greenwald, for example, who's been on shows like the Tucker Carlson show. But, you know, personally, I think, you know, these are good things. And I, I think that you tend to agree too. Um, I was kind of wondering if there was anyone that you could interview or be interviewed by who you strongly disagree with, potentially even uh-huh. hate. You know, that's a strong word, but, but yeah. you know, gonna throw it out there yeah. anyway. Uh, or think is ideologically just terrible. Uh, who would it be? I know you've, you've probably, you know, debated a couple of people before here and there, but. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I will say that I don't, um, you know, I, I don't usually, uh, honestly, like hate people like that very much, which is not, which is not my claiming to be like too enlightened for that or anything like that. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's just that I, I tend to think that it's just like baked in that they're wrong about everything. So like, <laughs> I don't get that excited about it. Um, I, 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 I have, I get much more, you know, emotionally worked up about arguing with other leftists, but, uh, I feel that. <laughs> you know, fair uh, enough, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little, uh, it's a little hard to answer just cause I, I think there are relatively few, uh, you know, like, like there, there are relatively few people that I wouldn't, you know, jump at that, uh, that opportunity with, um, you know, I mean, there are exceptions, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't debate Richard Spencer because, you know, that would be, you know, at this point in his trajectory, that would be doing him a favor. You know, <laughs> you know. The man is uh, heading for the grave, uh, figuratively. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, I, I would certainly like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would certainly, you know, debate, you know, Ben Shapiro or whoever. I mean, like, it would, it would be, you know, I mean, it would, it, would, it would be a weird and silly spectacle, but, you know, I think I'd have some value. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, who would I, who would I most want to? Um, would you have wanted to be on the stage instead of Zizek when he was debating Peterson? Uh, I would have, although I actually think that it's more useful that he did. So yeah. uh, what, which, which, what, what I mean by that is that, um, is that if, if I had been, uh, then I, you know, my purpose in, in doing that would have been to, uh, to, to try to like take apart all of the specific strange things that, uh, that, that Jordan Peterson, you know, believes and, and show that they don't make sense. Uh, which is the sort of thing that I'm sure a lot of, you know, people like us, you know, would, would have, have found more satisfying. And I'm sure it's the reason why, you know, before he, uh, you know, uh, before he actually, um, you know, uh, accepted about, uh, about Zizek, uh, you know, he, he turned down, uh, you know, uh, Richard Wolf and, and sort of absurdly claimed that it was because of, you know, the horrors of Stalinism that, you know, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't debate you know, a, uh, a Marxist, you know, cause, cause he was afraid Wolf would do that, you know, so I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, so, so the thing is though, even though that would have been more satisfying for us, I think that what actually happened was, was more useful, which is that uh, you, you had, uh, you had Zizek on there who was just, um, you know, who, who was, 
you know, who was not trying to, uh, to, to do that, you know, who, who had instead, I think that he, you know, correctly realized that uh, the, you know, the, the young guys who, who gravitate towards, towards Jordan Peterson aren't really, you know, hardened reactionaries. They're, they're just confused. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, I, you know, presenting a, a more appealing face of the left, you know, which is, which is basically, you know, I think what, what, uh, what Zizek was, uh, you know, was, was, was trying to do, you know, that, that he, you know, emphasized points of agreement. He told dirty jokes, you know, he, he did all the, you know, Zizek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that was probably, I mean, anybody who, who was sort of in the orbit of Peterson, who was, who was going to be tugged away by something like that would probably be much more likely to be yeah. tugged away, tugged away by that. So I'm, I'm glad it was, was Zizek, but yeah, I mean, if, but, 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 but give, give, give it the opportunity to do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> someone, someone wrote, I can't remember who for the life of me, but someone wrote like the most perfect description of that, uh, which was a while ago, which was like something along the lines of, uh, it looked like an old professor uh, leading his overzealous student through like a conversation trying to get him to understand where he's going <laughs> wrong you know <laughs> leading him um, yeah i can't yeah. remember who no, that's that but whoever did yeah, props I, I, yeah i think i uh i think i think i read that that same article but but yeah i think that's i think that's exactly right you know that he uh that like the the image that that Jack managed to uh to project there was uh, was a very friendly, you know, very friendly professor, you know, like helping a very, you know, confused student in office hours, uh, which, which again, I, I think, I think given the specific nature of, of Peterson's appeal is, is probably, is probably the best possible outcome. Didn't uh, Peterson admit at some point during it that he hadn't like properly read that much yeah. Marx? Yeah, well, he did. Uh, in fact, in his opening statement, which was remarkable in many ways, uh, he he said um, so. He he pretty much admitted that in in getting ready to uh, to debate Zizek, he he hadn't really read any Zizek, uh, you know, which which was which was weird enough to to begin with, uh, and, uh, and then, but then he said he figured he just he just read some marks, you know, go back to you know to where the trouble started, uh, and. <laughs> Uh, but then this is remarkable because to, you know, to put this in context, you know, Peterson had, had by, by the time this happened in 2019, he'd spent years um, as, as a very prominent public figure constantly denouncing, you know, the evils of something called postmodern Marxism, you know, whatever that might be. And he said, um, and he said that he'd, at the beginning of the statement, you know, that he was going through a bunch of Marx's claims from the Communist Manifesto, which he referred to as axioms for some reason. I think Peterson just really likes the word axiom and yeah. you know, whatever. But he, uh, but he said at the beginning of that that he just, you know, in preparation for the debate, he'd reread the Communist Manifesto for the first time since he was eighteen. So, uh, yeah. which, which, which to be like really, you know, it's it's really, so small. It's just it's a pamphlet basically yeah it's 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 it, yeah it's like this thick you know you you can you could read it in an afternoon and just like uh, the romans really... peterson couldn't read it apparently <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, he also didn't really seem to i mean i think maybe he might have given it a good skim but like they but if he uh but if he was just now rereading uh, the communist manifesto for the first time since 18 i think it's safe to say he wasn't you know digging into you know capital volume three or anything like yeah. that you know in the, uh, in the meantime so i i think it's a it's a pretty remarkable admission uh to just just not having um 
you know, to, to just constantly running his mouth about something that, that he, he like almost literally doesn't know the first thing about. Yeah. I remember he said something like um, Marx is, he made some wild thing uh, assumptions like that Marx had never written about nature, for example. Yeah, when yeah, yeah. There are some <laughs> like really specific essays. Like I wrote, I wrote something like a 5k essay for uni once about Marx and nature. And there, there's a lot. There's a, a, there fuck quite a lot. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. no no yeah. props to peterson for the absolute lack of effort on that um no which which was which you know i mean which was obviously you know i mean it was yeah i mean i mean the way it played out was was perfect i think that the combination of zizek having the approach that i mentioned earlier that peterson just sort of like tripping over himself you know and, and like you know the peterson's long series of own goals you know leading up to that i think uh i I think couldn't have you know couldn't have worked out better although although i also feel bad because obviously uh you know obviously the um the outcome of that debate you know led him to um you know to to developing a drug problem and you know yeah yeah uh, I, I don't literally well, think it was the debate, but you no, know, but, like, no. but the, the, the time might have been the Serbian uh, hospital. I was thinking the same thing the whole time. The timing's pretty great. Yeah. Um, but on that note, we're we're not going to wish him any harm or anything like that. We're no. we're, we're not no. like that. Um, but on that note, we will have to close this off. I think, uh, and we usually do with a book recommendation from our guest, mm. uh, which I'm. I, I'm going to recommend. Well, I sometimes recommend one. I'm going to recommend "Give Them an Argument" by uh, Ben Burgess, apparently, and it's a wonderful book. It's it's quite short. Uh, I think you can, you know, for all those of you who are scared yeah, of like long. three, four hundred page books, don't be. This is a hundred and ten pages, something like that. Yeah, longer than the Communist Manifesto, but it's not that much. <laughs> but shorter than Capital. That's where you want to be at. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, Ben, for for joining us. Uh, we're really looking forward, I think, to seeing your next book come out in April. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Okay, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming. On. I'm so sorry again about the uh, the game <laughs> those bark. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Uh, if you if you come back another time, I promise this time I'll remember to rename the file correctly. Right. And sounds good. If it yeah. be too late, the the tiebreaker opportunity will be gone. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be back back up in ninety percent. Of... <laughs>